Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, hey, friends, welcome. My name's Larry. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're with us online, glad to have you and um, glad to be here with all of you in this room today. I'm a little gimpy today. I'm an athlete and um, <clears throat> I was doing an athletic thing, um, like riding my bike, and I crashed. And so I've got a little hobble in my step. It's good times. So I was wearing a helmet. I was teaching my kids how to fall. You know, there's a right and a wrong way. <clears throat> I taught them the wrong way to fall. So <laughs> it's great. Hey, I wanted to tell you about a couple of things that are coming up just to kind of, you know, pump things up a little bit for the future um, as we get into the fall now, because we can say, hey, it's kind of officially fall. We're headed that direction. And um, some things that maybe you can mark down on your calendar, just be in preparation for. I don't know if you guys remember this. A handful of you maybe remember this, but pre-COVID, we did something for the first time that we had never done before, which was we didn't meet on a Sunday in this building collectively in a space. Instead, we met at different places in the community and we did something called a serve day. <clears throat> so we're doing that again. So November 21st, you can mark down your calendars. Over the next couple of months, we're going to have things for you to sign up to do, but we're not going to gather here on Sunday mornings in groups like, like this. We're going to go and gather in groups. And I know it was really great because you got to invite friends and family, your neighbors to participate with you. Um, so you can just be in preparation for that. We're going to spend those hours that you would typically spend here gathering during the day. We're going to do that at another place and serve and care for um, those in our community. So that's going to be really cool, right? Right, yes. Um, then after that, we're going to do a, a missions uh, update. And Sunday you saw one really cool video just a little bit ago, Transformation Story, some mission stuff. We're going to have somebody in person share some local things that we're partnering with and seeing some impact from. Then um, kind of a representation of organization that we support and sponsor for world stuff around the world. We're going to have um, a guest here, Tom Egham. He's the president of Hope for Kids. He's going to come here and share just a couple updates. So that'll be that next week. And then we're going to get into our Christmas season. But more importantly, we're going to do for the second time one of our biggest, largest outreach events that we've ever done on campus here, which is our light show. How many of you guys went to the light show last year? Sweet. Clap if you went. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. So if you're clapping, you're going to serve this year. It's going to be great. No. <laughs> Trick you. Uh, <laughs> so um, we'll be letting you guys know about that too, because there's a handful of nights. We have like 700 cars a night come through for multiple nights. So thousands and thousands of people. This is really wonderful event that is safe, yet we get to invite people then to come to our Christmas Eve services and also do something really impactful for the community as a whole. So really looking to expand that this year and um, have a big reach. So those are some things to be thinking about and even to be excited about that you're a part of and, um, and how you can be a part of that in the future. Um, one last thing that you can be excited and celebrate is um, many of you maybe have noticed that over the last couple of weeks, uh, Austri, who's our part-time worship uh, leader up here, she's actually been pregnant, if you didn't know that, <clears throat> and um, she had her baby. Yeah, so she had it on Friday. So here's a picture. This is Paisley. Um, I did this because I know a lot of people are like, you tell them, they're like, they had their baby, and you're like, I need to see that picture. And you need a weird voice, too. 
Because you're like, show me, baby. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know what that is. So there you go. That's fulfilling some of your needs right now. Uh, but you can be praying for them there. Mom and uh, Paisley, baby's doing healthy. Dad's okay. He's surviving. No. <laughs> He's got two girls now. Um, and uh, dad is Kyle. He uh, usually is um, playing guitar up here with us and has got that sweet beard. So they're doing great and just wanted to celebrate that. That's neat to see that. And we love them and miss them. So that, there's that. All right, so let's hop in. Today, we are, congratulations, in chapter 3. We're starting chapter 3 in Matthew. If you haven't been with us, we've been going kind of like this expository look, which has been verse by verse through the start of the book of Matthew. And uh, we've already made it through uh, two chapters. We're in chapter 3, and now it's going to slow way down. (laughs) Some of you may have looked at the journal. If you have your journal, you can pop that out. We're on page 33. There's only a couple verses. um, And we're going to get an introduction to a, a new character in this story. And uh, today, my goal is to unpack and for us to get a little bit more information about who he is. And then over the next couple of weeks, um, Jesus is going to be introduced in kind of a different frame, etc. So let's hop into Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll start off right there. Now, in those days, John the Baptist, that's who we're talking about, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John himself, he had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was grasshoppers and wild honey. At the time, Jerusalem was going out to him, And all Judea, all over the region around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So this is our first introduction to John the Baptist. Now, the reason they called him John the Baptist is because it was after this, what he did, he baptized people. He was really known for baptizing people. And this word baptism means baptismo, which is a full immersion. That's what we practice here. That's why we don't sprinkle water on folks that get baptized. It's a full immersion under water. So he was also known as John the Immerser because this form of a baptism is immersion, or they called him John the Baptizer, um, the, the other form of this is that you're actually plunged. So he was John the plunger. He was also John the dipper. People would call this dipping. This is how they would refer to this. But it just didn't go like it should. I mean, it's just not as cool of a nickname to be like, yeah, what's up? It's John the dipper, right? <laughs> so we stuck with John the Baptist. John the Baptist around many places in the world actually celebrates June 24th as his birthday. It's a holiday that's celebrated, and uh, it's the 24th of June. He was was related to Jesus um, through their mothers, and um, and then we celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas. Good, yeah, we're in our action today. On Christmas, which is December 25th, which is six months, so they're six months apart. So now, whether or not those are the actual dates or not isn't the thing, but here's where this comes from this idea that it's June 24th and December 25th. And so for maybe some of you, this is going to change Christmas. You're going to be like, whoa, I'm learning a new thing today. In John, which is a book in the Bible, it's in the New Testament, 3.30, um, they're writing about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is saying that he, this is Jesus, must increase as I decrease. 
So this is where they get these dates from, is that days are longer or increase the length of time around December 25th or so. Days get shorter about June 24th or so. So you just know that as a cycle, that you have really long days in the summer. Around June 24th, they start to get shorter and shorter and shorter. So it's decreasing. Jesus comes increasing. John was this head of person. And we're going to see this forerunner, this foreteller for Jesus. So he's celebrated all over. He's very well known in all four of the Gospels. And what we're doing right here in Matthew is we're actually making a 30-year jump. We, we just finished last week in chapter 2, and baby toddler Jesus was settling down in a region of Galilee in a little town called Nazareth. And now suddenly, we have them all grown up. But first, before I make this 30-year jump to John the Baptist, we actually have to go back hundreds of years. Because John the Baptist was actually foretold in a book called Malachi. This is the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, this is the last things that we hear are pinned down by prophet. In Malachi chapter 4, 5 through 6, it says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So here's what God's saying. Let me summarize this. He's saying that one day I'm going to come and I'm going to show up on that day and I'm, I'm going to come in person and I'm going to do something that brings both salvation and judgment at the same time. That, that this is going to be great and dreadful, this salvation and judgment at the same time. And before I do this, I'm going to send a prophet ahead of me. I'm going to send an Elijah, this prophet. Elijah was this prophet in the Old Testament that we see that he spoke to the people through God, used him as a mouthpiece and was kind of this weird, charismatic, uh, uh, eccentric person. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually send another Elijah to you and he's going to come and he's going to preach. And he's going to prepare the way for my coming, this moment of both salvation and judgment at the same time. And I think that this is a really beautiful picture of what Jesus' message was, what the cross was. It's this pre-thing that we see. It's both salvation and judgment. It was this accomplishing thing. At the same time, it was this terrible sense in which the day of wrath was being poured out on Jesus, on the Son of God. But it was a beautiful day because what was being accomplished. And so what he's saying is, is that this atonement happened. And what is he saying? Before this happens, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send an Elijah to prepare Israel for this prophet. But really, we need to go back even before that previously foretold 700 years before that, there was another prophet named Isaiah that also spoke to this, and this is what Matthew was referencing. You see this in Matthew 3.3. 3. For this one referred to by Isaiah, this is John the Baptist, the prophet, when he said, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. I'm jumping right now to Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert of the highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So now we find ourselves 
30 years later, and we're getting our first glimpse at John the Baptist. He is one of the most known people in the Bible. He's in all four Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about him and the importance. And this is really like the, the pre-thing. It's, that's how it's been set up. So think of it like this way. Um, <clears throat> if you're going to paint a wall in your house, what do you do to your wall first? You prime it, Right? which can be done in a multitude of ways. You, you have to prepare it so it can take the paint and it can do what it needs to do. Or you're going to bake a cake. What do you do to the pan? You spray it, right? So that way the cake can be the best the cake can be. It's preparing it. So now we fast forward to Jesus's life as well. So we, Matthew, Matthew goes from baby toddler Jesus to now here's John the Baptist and we get an introduction and we'll see this over the next two weeks where Jesus comes in the picture. He just skips his life as well, that whole 30 years in there where Jesus is suddenly like a grown-up. And so we have to actually jump over to the gospel of Luke to see anything. And so we're going to do that for just a second. You see, if you look in Luke uh, on your own, you're going to see that Jesus, uh, some parts of his teenage years, probably around 12 or so as a teenager, his family and their kind of tribe would travel uh, and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, that area, uh, for Passover or some other things to the holy city. And um, his parents lost Jesus. Like, they forgot him. It was one of those whole line, you got him, you got him, you got him kind of deal. And it was actually a couple days. And then it says, and they realize, hey, he's not here. We think he's back there. They travel back. They go into the temple. He's chilling out there. He's like reading scrolls. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just doing my father's business. And they're like, okay, get in the car. We're going home. And so... Then they travel back. So for those of you who are like, I'm just not that sure if I'm that good of a parent, just understand, we have examples of Mary and Joseph. They lost Jesus. They lost him for a couple days. And I can't imagine what kind of teenager he is. This is Jesus. Give me a break. So you should feel good about yourselves. So in the same way, to get a better glimpse of who John was um, and who he is, it's also found in Luke. It's actually the very beginning. This is the introduction to the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke. And so we're going to jump over there. We're going to learn a little bit about John the Baptist. <clears throat> so Luke 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, we talked about him last week, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. This is uh, a Levite tribe of people, a family group of people. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron right here is referencing, uh, if you've heard the story of Moses, uh, Aaron was the one like holding his arms up in the Red Sea. Aaron played a big part and is also part of a priestly tribe. Both of them, now this is beautiful. This is, this is a beautiful testimony that the biblical narrative gives us of these people. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees, blamelessly. I'm sure you've met someone like this. This is like the couple that you meet that's older that you're like, how do we just be like you? Like you have a beautiful testimony in the way that you love and you treat and you care for people. That was Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they both were very old. A lot of theologians think 60s, 70s at this point. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by a lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And when his time came for the burning of incense, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So pause here for a second. So this is how this works. Zechariah was part of this Levite priesthood, and they had different jobs that were kind of on the regular, but once to twice a year, um, that division of those priests in that area were assigned to actually do the temple duties um, for the day or for, for some other kind of special projects. And so what they would have to do is they would show up that once or twice a year, they would show up before any other worshipers or temple business was to take place. They'd clean the place up. They'd have to go around and check the lights. They'd have to rekindle the coals and flame those into fire. They'd have to prepare what was the daily, like, sacrificial, what the, the things that were going to be sacrificed that day um, as part of this temple work and duty at that time. And so he's finding himself now in this it happens to be the happenstance that his group is now on to serving at the temple for this time. And they, everything they did, they did by lot. So the decisions they were making, it was like a, a lot to who could do stuff. But he got chosen by lot to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense that day. If you were ever chosen to do this, you only got to do this once in a lifetime. So it's kind of like you got your shot, you got chosen, it's your one and done. And this is where they would go in, and they, would, uh, they had all kinds of different um, incense uh, uh, stuff, materials, and they would lay it out uh, all, all over some coals and stuff and fill it up with smoke and start burning up. And so then it says, and then when it was time for the burning of the incense, uh, people were outside worshiping. I got it. People were outside. Uh, the worshipers were outside praying when this was happening. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of the incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Yeah. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. This is the first instance we get of the Holy Spirit being with someone in the New Testament here. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their God. And go to the next one. And he will go on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah. We recognize that one now. To turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready to, to prepare a people for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can you be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He's trying to say, I'm an old man, and she's young and beautiful. And the angel said to him, he's like laughing at this. How is this going to happen? The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, all this is happening. The people were waiting for Zacharias, wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. They're out there going, what's going on? He's in there doing this special procedure. 
When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Hey, oh. And for five months, they remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among people. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to where? Nazareth. Here we go. We're all connecting the dots. A town in Galilee. So then we see the, the narrative right there where Gabriel then goes and talks to Mary and explains that Mary's going to have baby Jesus and then says, hey, guess what? Your cousin Elizabeth, she's expecting a child too. So then we jump ahead to verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to the town, uh, to the town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and, was greeted, uh, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord, my Lord, should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And so when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, it came time to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father. Now, this was fairly typical because they're like, hey, he's not talking. He can't talk. We don't know what's going on, and so he's not telling us what we're supposed to name the child. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name is to be called John. Now, why do you think that is? It's because they figured out how to communicate for the five months before this, and then it ended up being the nine months before this, that this is what happened. This is why I can't talk. This is the vision I had. This is why we're having a child. This is amazing. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Like, where would you pick this name from? There's nowhere in this lineage that this comes from. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, and he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote... His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Then what happens is... Uh, Zachariah, you know, like when you get good news or something happens and all of a sudden you can speak again and all of a sudden you like break out into dance and a song and that's pretty much what he's doing. He's like, that's my boy. And so then immediately in scripture, he's into this song and he's singing this song and Elizabeth does a song too before this. But you see in verse 76, just at the end of this, he's, he's singing the song that says, and you, he's talking about John, my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet 
into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So there's some backstory to John. Now we jump 30 years here and get back to Matthew. And what do we see? Now, in the day of those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. This uh, also, when he says that he came, this is appeared, just as he said, or arrived. This was like such a cool, beautiful moment that is literally taking place in history right now, where John the Baptist, this forerunner, this selected person to go ahead of, literally has one foot in the promise of what's to come, an Old Testament prophecy and what's going to take place, and then one foot in the fulfillment because he's right here. He's setting the stage for the Messiah to come that has been talked about coming. It says that John himself, he had a garment of camel's hair and a leather's belt around his waist. Why do we need to know this? <laughs> and his food was locusts and wild honey. And at that time, Jerusalem, they were going out to him. Like he was drawing a crowd out into the wilderness and all Judea and the region around the Jordan. And they were being baptized in him in the Jordan as they confessed their sins, which we're going to get into here in this next week because it's fascinating because most of these people that were coming uh, were Jews and didn't actually need to be baptized. It was Gentiles that had to go through that. And so we'll get into that in just a little bit. But specifically, his outfit. Let's talk about that. Camel's hair, leather belt around his weight, eating simple things, grasshoppers, honey, that kind of stuff. What this was is this was a deliberate uh, echo of the prophet Elijah. This was a, what prophets would wear. It says in 2 Kings 1.8, uh, Elijah is told to wear a garment of hair and with a leather belt around his waist. So what did Malachi say? Malachi said that, that a new Elijah was coming. Elijah was coming. What we also learned from this, how he dressed, how he acted, also what the angel Gabriel had said, how he wouldn't uh, have any wine or have any fermented drink and how he would act, is that actually his life, he had taken something called the Nazarite vow. Uh, The Nazarite vow. Many people, uh, religious people, would actually take the Nazarite vow, uh, but they would only do it for a certain period of time, like a smaller selected amount of time, which is where you lived in more seclusion, like a wilderness area where you had lots of silence and solitude and meditation in this prayer life where you didn't have anything distract you from becoming closer with and leaning into God and who he is. The other thing that comes with this so you can get this full imagery of John the Baptist and what he looked like is part of this vow is that you were never to cut your hair and you were to have six locks. And so this comes way back from Samson in the Old Testament. And so he literally had six huge dreadlocks. He had dreads, think about that one, coming all the way down. And a lot of times it would come down to their waist or they would even wrap it around their waist like a sack to hold up their hair. And so this is who John the Baptist looks like. He's, he's got this sweet dread out thing. People are coming to him. He's preaching this message and baptizing people, hanging out. He's, you know, he's got a sack of hair on him, right? This is, this is what this looked like. He just comes right out of the gate right now, fully devoted, fully like leaned all the way in because he needed to be as close to God. He was this forerunner, this preparer 
for Jesus. And he goes, here's who I am. This is raw. He says, I'm going to be real. And he just comes preaching. I'm going to tell you about my weakness. I'm going to tell you about my whole life. I think his whole life, if you look at it, it represents this symbolic, um, it's symbolically exposing a lot of people's religiosity, like our own religiosity. And you'll see that in the coming weeks with just religious people in general. Like you can just look at it just based on his dress and have that conversation. You know, uh, we've culturally westernized uh, um, following Jesus with something called Sunday's best, right? You ever been told that? I, when I was growing up and we were like priesters and we went to just Christmas and Easter, it was like, you got to wear Sunday's best, right? You got to like look sharp because you got to wear Sunday's best for the Lord. Like you got to present yourself that way. But then we look at this, this guy and they're like, this is actually like what it was really looking like. Eh? It was just danky. Like, it was all the way in like that. So you can feel better about yourself if you're not in a suit and tie today. We, we accept everyone. This is what this looks like. It exposed of like, you're not going to put on this front, you know, because we can kind of get that way too of like, oh, I'm going to present myself well. Uh, we're going to see next week when he's having conversations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's extremely religious or seen as religious people. and He's exposing their religiosity. And saying like, hey, you got to get back to this stuff. You're just putting on a facade in this show. You're not actually seeking after God and who he is and who you're supposed to be and what a life lived well out that way looks like. So he came preaching, it says. Now in those days, John the Baptist came. So he appeared here preaching in the wilderness of Judea. This word right here, the Greek word for preaching right here is called caruso. Caruso, which means to announce or proclaim. A lot of people can think like people like me that stand up on a stage, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm preaching, you know, and that's like my job. And other people think that's not my job. I'm not the preacher, right? That's actually not what I'm doing. More of teaching. I'm teaching something. But we all, every single person in here needs to do this Caruso, to announce, to proclaim. We see this throughout Scripture, and we see this throughout the New Testament, that every one of us needs to actually do this announcing and proclaiming good news or the things that we've experienced. We, friends, are the announcers of good news to our friends, to our family, to our co-workers, students, to your fellow students, whatever is around you. We need to be announcers of good news. And oftentimes we just think that's for like dreaded people or like my people that stand up here. And it's not. It's all of us. We all have a story to tell, to announce or proclaim to someone. Jumping way ahead to the end of Matthew, Jesus gives something called the Great Commission. And he commanded us to do this. He commanded us to make disciples. Not, he doesn't say to be disciples. And I could add a word in here. Jesus commanded us to make disciples, not just be disciples. I think a lot of us just want to be disciples, not make disciples. We're like, well, that's somebody else's job, to make disciples. And that's not actually how it is supposed to be. The Great Commission at its heart is an outward movement. And we could ask ourselves, what am I participating in? Am I just going to sit and be a disciple, or am I going to make disciples? Which, that actually is the part of doing and being discipled and being a disciple yourself? Could it be that an act of making disciples, we actually become more of who Christ designed us to be? 
in the act of us sharing our faith, of caruso, of, of announcing and proclaiming. It's actually how thousands of people in the early church and millions of people since them have actually found themselves as, as Christians or followers of Christ, that they found themselves transformed into new creations by hearing other people's stories of faith. I know personally that I grow the most when I'm helping others. I grow the most when I'm helping others, and it gives me a place to apply the things that I'm learning or that I'm struggling with, and it takes the focus off of myself, and it places it on Christ, and it places it on other people where it belongs. This, friends, is why we must caruso. We must caruso. I, I've had many conversations with people, and you know, they're looking for this lightning bolt moment. You know, like, when was it that you just got struck? And you're like, okay, yeah, Jesus is the thing. Or this life transformation thing. It often happens through this nice, beautiful caruso and announcing, a proclaiming, a nudging of like, hey, this is what happened to me. This is what I've been through. This is where I found hope. This is where I felt loved when I didn't feel loved. This is where I experienced mercy. This is what grace looks like for me upon grace upon grace upon grace. I had a conversation with a friend just even a couple weeks ago that's still seeking and searching and trying to figure it out and is really desiring this lightning bolt experience. I need this thing that like shakes me up, you know, like getting smacked with a car. But really what it is, is it's just this proclaiming and announcing over and over and over again what this looks like in our real lives and then what the transformative power does. And I want to tell you that one stinging criticism of churches that they receive that are reaching people is that many of their attendees, many of the people who come to churches don't bear the resemblance of Jesus. I'll say, okay, yeah, sure. I'm sure maybe you've even felt that way yourself, or maybe you've had other people in your sphere of influence or that are connected with you that have said similar things. Like, hey, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Like, give me a break. Like, come on, just be real and straight up with how this stuff is. Because they look and say, you guys don't, a lot of people there don't bear this resemblance of who Jesus is supposed to be. And these new, immature, you know, baby followers of Jesus or Christians, they can be swayed by these powerful personalities and they can, you know, be sexually a mess and they can have questionable business practices. They end up in these broken families. They're swayed too much by culture and what's around them. Um, they don't know how to connect, conduct themselves on worship services, or they doubt core doctrines of the resurrection. Like, they're, you, you look at, you have people in your church that are sitting here not even knowing if this stuff is real. And if these issues remind you of why you dislike churches or why your friends dislike churches, just realize I pulled every one of those problems out of 1 Corinthians, which is the church in Corinth who struggled with every problem that I talked about. And I think every problem, a growing, beautiful, eclectic, messy faith community should struggle with today, including us. And the last time I checked, this church in Corinth was deeply loved as an authentic church that Christ loved. And the fact is if we have these problems, it may actually be a sign that we're making progress with the unchurched. We don't want to leave anyone there. That's why we're a people in process. 
We're on a spiritual journey. We come as we are, but we leave as we're trying to be something else, something more. But when people really start engaging with Christ, tidy categories are really hard to come by. In fact, the most morally pure people of the first centuries, the Pharisees, which we'll get into next week, were some of the ones Jesus most often commended, I mean, condemned. Go figure. It's who we are. This is why Caruso announcing, proclaiming this process, this journey we're in is so, so important. So now, in those days, John the Baptist came proclaiming in the wilderness of Judea. I'll finish with this. When you have good news, when we have good news, you don't hold it in, right? Like I know I've, I've, I've hung out with some friends. My wife and I have had multiple couples that we've hung out and kind of going through different stages of life. And even, you know, just even more recently, we've had some over and you could just tell something was off. Like we're like having conversation, but it's not like we're really going anywhere. We usually play games and we hang out. And then what it was is all of a sudden it came out that they're having a baby or they got accepted into this thing or they're going to get married, right? And it's like you've been around those people where you're hanging out and it's like something just off, but they, they need to announce it. They just need to tell you what's going on because they're excited because they got this good news to share because everything else right then is just isn't as important. It's fun. It's just not as important as this thing because it's good news. Friends, that's what we need to do. That's who we're supposed to be. It's like, hey, those other things that we're going to get to is important, but let's just get to the good news. Let me just nudge you. Let me share. Man, I'm just seeing right now in some of this space some joy that you need. Let me, let me help you and talk to you about how I'm kind of finding some joy in some like not joyful circumstances. Let me find out about some hope I'm finding, some mercy I'm finding, some grace I'm finding, some peace I'm finding. I just got to talk to you about that, and then we'll get into the other stuff. Caruso, friends, may we this week experience Caruso and proclaim the good news just as John Baptist did and have one foot in this promise and another foot in the lives of people's fulfillment and that they find that in Jesus. So if you have your phones or you want to take a note, I've got some homework for you. You can check out the screen. Here's uh, what you can work on today. Kind of ask yourself or what you can work on this week, maybe with a friend or a loved one. Who can you proclaim to? Literally, what's a name? Literally, what's a name? Some of you guys are just, you know, you're staring up at this thing about it, like, yeah, this is good for somebody else. Seriously, this is, this, is a, this is our gig. This is our job. This is what we're asked to do. This is what's important because people are important. Who can you proclaim to? What is their name? Where are they at in your life? Then who, what about this one? Who was it you can think for sharing their story with you? Who do you need to circle around back and be like, man, I just have to tell you, you carousoed me. You proclaimed something in my life. You, you shared something in my life and that has affected me. It has changed my outcome in life. And so I need to thank you for that because you led by example. You foretold, you made a way. And lastly, what wilderness are you willing to go to? Ask yourself, where are you going to? What wilderness are you willing to go to? Or maybe even more, maybe you ask the Father, God, what wilderness are you calling me to right now? 
where you ask me to go into Caruso. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.